Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Zechariah. We'll be in chapter number 6 tonight. Zechariah chapter number 6. As we get the vision of the uh, four chariots or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, so, uh, we'll be picking up there uh, in verse number 1. Uh, this is our eighth vision. It's the last vision. Uh, then we will get a prophecy really as we go through the rest of this after a little bit of exhortation we'll get a prophecy about the rest of about the end times and about the return of Jesus Christ it's so specific I, I think in some ways it's even more specific than the book of Revelation and so uh, we've got some exciting stuff ahead as we when we pick back up uh, at the first of the year but but uh, you know we want to look at this last vision here tonight before we get there it's the same it's again I mentioned it Sunday it's kind of amazing it's the same uh, picture that we're going to see Sunday morning when we look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse and so this time they're on chariots I don't know that there's much difference here it looks like there's a difference but there's really not that much difference because the attention is not on the chariots the attention is on the horses and the color of the horses and the meaning of the horses and we get some insight here in chapter 6 that we won't get in Revelation of course we'll bring it back up when we cover Revelation Sunday but but there's some stuff here that about what's going on that that uh, adds color to what we'll be looking at when we when we uh, look at this Sunday so so this is really perfect timing for us and and uh, we should have a good idea of what all of this is about when when we finish both studies uh, first of all uh, let's read uh, verses 1 through 5 it says then I turn and this is Zechariah speaking and I raise my eyes and I look now why did he turn something startled him I mean he's got his eyes on the angel of the Lord and then something startles him and he turns and he looks and behold four chariots were coming from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze or brass Whenever we see brass in the scripture, what are we more than likely looking at? What's it symbolic of? It's symbolic of judgment. And when we see a mountain, what's that symbolic of? It's symbolic of an obstacle that can't be overcome by man. It can only be overcome by God. And so it looks to me, just from what I'm looking at in this first verse, that God is saying that he's about to judge the world. And I think he's looking forward there's peace on earth at this particular time. And so he's not talking about the immediate time. He's talking about a future time. And he's talking about the uh, coming great tribulation. And so this judgment is going to be so uh, severe that he calls it two mountains. And it comes, the, the vessels of that judgment or the, that God uses for that judgment are these chariots that we look at in verse number two. He says, with the first chariot... With the first chariot were red horses. Again, the emphasis is on the horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot were white horses. And with the fourth chariot, dappled or pale horses. And then he says all four of these are strong steeds. So really it's the, it doesn't talk about the chariots there. It's talking about the horses. And that's why this match, I believe it matches up perfectly with the vision that John sees when he's in heaven uh, when those seals are opened in the book of Revelation. Then in verse number four, it says, Then I answered and I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? 
And the angel, and we've already established that this has something to do with judgment. But watch where this judgment is coming from. He says, and the angel answered and said to me, these are four spirits uh, of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. And so it's a very similar picture to the opening of the seven seals that we see in the book of Revelation in chapter number six. Six is the number of man. All of this really, you can see it all tied together. And so uh, uh, four is the number of what? What's four? The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness. It's a time of testing, a time of judgment. And so all of these numbers and these symbols tell us something right away that this is a picture of judgment. And I believe no doubt that it's a picture of the severe judgments that are going to take place uh, during the Great Tribulation. And so uh, that's what we're looking at when we look at this uh, right here. And so you have these two mountains, and these two mountains are these obstacles, this judgment. It can't be overcome by man. Mankind will not be able to stop this once it starts. Once those seals are open, only the Lord can stop this. And he, the only reason he stopped it, if he didn't stop it, there wouldn't be anybody left on the earth, we're told in the book of Revelation. And so so uh, we know that this is going to be, a lot of people are going to die during, during these judgments. All right, now, these chariots that go out, they're the specific forces of judgment that God is going to use to judge the world. And if you notice, the, there's nothing mentioned about the drivers of these chariots. So who's driving these chariots? God, by his power, is driving these chariots. And that's why he says here, he sees them going forth from their stations before the Lord of all the earth. They're going into all the earth from the Lord of all the earth. They're leaving heaven and they're going out to the earth to do God's bidding. They're not sent by the devil. They're sent by the Lord himself. So I, I get a clear lesson right here in this vision uh, right away. And that is that God is in control and he is sovereign over judgment. I, 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 not just in the great tribulation. He's sovereign over all the destructive forces that go out into this world to either discipline people or to punish people or to punish the wicked, to punish wicked nations. And none of this is blind chance. That's true for all the things, you know, we see going on now. It's not Mother Nature that, that brings these storms and brings havoc upon this earth. It is God bringing havoc upon this earth in love to try to get people, to invoke people uh, in, to repentance. And so... Uh, all of these things are directed by the providence of a sovereign God. And we want to see that right away. Now, these horses that are pulling these chariots, if you look at this again, have the same colors as the four horses of the apocalypse. But they're given in a different order. But I don't think the order is important here. It really doesn't matter at this point. I mean, I, we'll get a more specific order when we get to the book of Revelation. But, but the order is... Is, is given here for a couple of reasons. One, uh, uh, it's given to, to, for the end times, but it's also given in the immediate sense for the judgment of Babylon, and we'll see that here in just a minute. So, so that's why the order might be a little bit different, but the horses still mean the same thing. What's the red horse mean? Red horse 
What do we see? We see this fierce red horse. We see blood. We see war. And so it represents war. The blast after war, what happens after you have a big war, the kind of war that's going to take place during the Great Tribulation, what's the next step? What's the next seal? There's the, the black horse, and that's, that represents famine. And then the pale horse represents death and Hades. And the white horse represents victory or peace. But this is a false peace that will come upon the earth. And the white horse in the book of Revelation, if you look at the order in the book of Revelation, which horse goes out first? The white horse. This horse, which we'll see, and we'll look at this in a lot of detail Sunday, but this is, the, this is oh, the rider of this horse is the Antichrist. And this is the spirit of Antichrist that's going out into the world. And so you have this white horse, uh, actually, with a, with a crown of olive branches. Uh, and when you get more detail in Revelation, and he goes out into the world and with his rider, and the rider is the Antichrist. And so I don't, think there's, I don't think there's any difference here. I think it's the same four horsemen, but we see them with chariots here, and we don't see them with chariots in, in uh, Revelation, and the order's a little bit different. All right, now, look at, look at verse number 6. It says, the one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going after them, and the dappled are going toward the south country. And so the north country would be what? That would be Syria and Babylon. And then the south country would be what? It would be Egypt. And so these horses of judgment are going out to judge the nations that, you know, gave Israel uh, the most trouble during their history. And so you see these horses going out. uh, But in the great tribulation, they don't just go out to the north and to the south. Look at what it says going on there. It says the strong steeds went out eager to, go, eager to go that they might walk to and fro throughout the whole earth. So, in the, so you have this immediate sense of judgment where God has sent out these steeds to judge the nations who have given Israel trouble, their enemies. But then there's also this uh, judgment of the whole world that takes place during the Great Tribulation. So it says they, they go and walk to and fro through, throughout the whole earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called to me and he spoke to me saying, See those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. Now he's talking about this spirit that he sent out, the spirit of judgment. At the point where this vision is being given to Zechariah, there is rest in the land. The, the, the horses are at rest. God is at rest. The spirit that God has sent out of judgment is now over because... Uh, Babylon has been defeated by Persia and Persia hasn't established with an iron fist they've established peace on earth and so at this particular time there is rest on earth but that rest is not going to last at one point these four horsemen are going to go out into the whole earth and uh, that's when you're going to have the great tribulation and so uh, 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 this fits perfectly with uh, how he finishes this chapter uh, with this command to crown uh, Joshua. It, 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 you have this temporary peace on earth and, and then comes the great tribulation and then comes this crowning of Joshua. H.A. Ironside in his commentary on, on the book of Zechariah, he calls it the, the, these six chapters the, the apocalypse of Zechariah. And he didn't mean by that Zechariah's apocalypse. He means by 
the apocalypse, record, the, reveal, the revelation recorded by Zechariah. And so you get kind of a mini book of revelation in the book of Zechariah, especially in these first six chapters. And so just like Revelation, Zechariah's, uh has these visions of judgment and then it culminates in the revelation of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's what you would expect next because we've given this picture of the four horsemen going out in the world and wreaking havoc on the world during the great tribulation and now the tribulation is over and now Jesus is going to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And so God is going to enact this uh, uh, through a symbolic act where he crowns Joshua the high priest. And so that's what we see next. So uh, go with me to chapter 6 and look at verses 9. Uh, let's begin in verse number 9. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives, from Heldai, Tobajah, and Jediah, Jediah, who have come from Babylon and go to the go and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, or Zen, I think is his name, uh, Hen, rather, and the son of Zephaniah. Now, you'd have to really stretch to say this is a Zephaniah who wrote the prophecy that we studied earlier, a few books back, but uh, uh, it's just a Zephaniah. We don't know who he is. Now, all of you know who Heldai and Tobijah and Jedediah are, right? All of y'all know who they are, right? Hannah, you know who they are, don't you? Have you been paying attention? My son better know who they are. Huh? Y'all don't know who they are? Very good, they're Jews. I don't know who they are either. Nobody knows who they are. All we know about these three guys and this fourth guy is that they came back from Babylon and they probably came back wealthy. You know, the Jews can do that. You can send them off into a land and, 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 and all they have is the, are the clothes on their back and all of a sudden the next thing you know they're, they're, they're owning some big business that goes, does business throughout the whole world. They are very, very uh, resilient people, uh, uh, very, very uh, entrepreneurial people and, and smart people. And God made them that way, and, they, and, and people want to say, uh, man, the Jews rule the world. But to some degree, they're not far off. Uh, they have a lot of the wealth of this world, but they've, they've earned it. They've earned it the hard way. They work hard, and they, they, uh, they're tough in business. And so uh, these guys went off to Babylon as captives, and, and they got a lot of money. And so God's going to use them uh, to do something here, uh, this act of symbolism that he's going to do uh, here as we pick up in verse number 11. He says, Take the silver and gold and make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, we've talked about this before, but the very name of this high priest, Joshua, is prophetic because Joshua is an English transliteration of Yeshua. And Yeshua in the Greek is Jesus, and we translate Jesus into what? Into Jesus. And so Joshua and Jesus are the same name. And so this is prophetic uh, symbolism about 
the crowning of Jesus. And so this is a one-time event. Uh, Joshua's not going to wear this crown. It's total symbolism. God wants them to see just how important what they're doing there in Jerusalem really is. That one day on the very spot where they're building that temple, Jesus Christ is going to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so uh, when at the crowning, uh, the Lord tells him, tells Zechariah exactly what he wants him to speak. Look at verse number 12. He says, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says Jehovah Sabaoth, the one who has the power to make all of this happen, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From the place he shall branch out, and he shall build a temple, uh, he, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, the real temple of the Lord. The <laughs> The, the, not the temple that's going to be built in the Great Tribulation, not Solomon's temple, not Herod's temple, uh, not the Zerubbabel's temple that these people were building. He's going to build a much greater temple. He's going to build the Millennial Temple. And, and, and we're going to behold him. He says, behold the man. Does that sound familiar? You remember that from the Gospels? You remember when Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate took him out, in the, out on the porch of the praetorium and he had been beaten and he had been crowned with a crown of thorns. And Pilate said, behold the man. Well, one day he's going to come back to a, very, a spot very close to that and he's going to be presented to the people and God is going to say, behold the man. And this time he's not going to wear a crown of thorns. He's going to wear a diadem, a crown that crowns him as king of kings and lord of lords. So a golden crown is placed upon Joshua's head in, in, in order to point to this time when we will pay homage to the Lord Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. And who is he? He's the man whose name, look back at the text, the man whose name is the branch. Now, we've already seen that title for Jesus Christ in Zechariah in chapter number 3, and we chased it down into Jeremiah and some other places when we were there before. But, but he's the branch, the branch of David, the branch that will grow and grow and grow. He's, he's growing now. He's branching out now in this world as we speak. And how is he branching out? Through the people of God. And so he's the branch that's going to grow and eventually uh, fill the whole world with, with his glory. And he, look at what it says, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And then he repeats that. Yes, he shall be the, build the temple of the Lord. Now, here was this little group of Jews. And they were building this temple, this ragtag temple with a few little bit of resources and a little bit of manpower that they had. And they were discouraged. And, and it, it, some of the older Jews who had seen the temple in its glory, Solomon's temple in its glory, they weeped when they saw this temple that was being built. And it kind of put everybody in a bad mood. In fact, you remember they were there, we read that passage in Ezra where, where the young people were cheering and, and, and singing praises and everything, and the old people were weeping. You could, it couldn't distinguish between the two. They were all so loud. 
but, but uh, there was this mixed bag of trips, tricks. And, and the Lord encourages these people because it says he's going to build. Look, this temple is going to do for now. And this is going to be the place where I'm going to be in Jerusalem. But eventually my son will be there as king of kings and lord of lords. And this temple is going to be more glorious than the wilderness tabernacle, than Solomon's temple. Uh, then Zerubbabel's temple or Harold's temple or the temple that might be built in the Great Tribulation. And so uh, I think he's referring to an actual physical temple that the Lord will build himself. How he will do that, I don't know if he'll do it just by speaking it into existence, if it'll come down from heaven like the, the, uh, the new, new city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, or... Uh, if, you know, he'll grab me and you and tell us to grab a hammer and help him build the, the temple. I don't know how he's actually going to do it. But there, I believe there will be a physical temple in the millennium. I don't believe there will be sacrifices. Some people say there will be sacrifices. I don't believe there will be because there's been one sacrifice that counts, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. But I think he's also referring here, when he says, I will build the temple of the Lord, I think he's referring, this is a spiritual uh, reference too, and uh, he's referring to the church. Remember what Paul said, uh, he, he asked that rhetorical question uh, to, to all of us who are a part of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God? And so that church is being built now and it will continue to be built until we're raptured out of here and then it'll be built some more with the tribulation saints. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church. I will build my temple, you could say, because it is the church is the temple and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so uh, that church or that temple won't be limited Jerusalem, it will branch out into all the world and it, and it will be a glorious temple. That temple on earth will be a glorious temple. A glorious temple because the Lord of glory will sit there on his throne and he will rule and reign the earth from uh, that place. So verse number 13, he says in verse 33, yes, he says again, he shall build the temple of the Lord he shall bear the glory. I mean, the glory of that temple will be the Lord himself. He shall bear the glory. And he shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be, and really you could say, and he shall be priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Between both of those offices, between king and being priest, he will be the wonderful counselor. He will bring peace into this world. We will finally have true peace on earth, good will towards man. And that was the promise that was given when Jesus was born, that we would have peace on earth, good will towards man. So he's going to extend his kingdom throughout this earth, and the glory of the temple won't be the structure. The glory of the temple will be the Lord himself. When people go up to Jerusalem, what are they going to go to see? They're going to go to see the structure. I mean, it's going to be a glorious sight. I'm sure it'll sit right there on top of Mount Moriah, and you'll be able to see it just like you see the Dome of the Rock now, and it'll be, make that thing look like 
like a shack and it will be glorious. But there'll be something coming forth from that temple that I'm excited about seeing. And that will be the glory of the Lord. Uh, you know, probably some, most of us will have a chance or maybe all of us will have a chance to serve in that temple, to serve the Lord in that temple in his very presence, in his very glory. Isaiah describes that day as follows. He says in Isaiah 2.2, In that day it shall come to pass that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he shall teach us his ways. Oh man, what a day that's going to be, right? And now he's given the prophecy. He's shown us what the symbolism all means about crowning of Joshua. And now he tells, uh, now he tells Zechariah what to do. It gives him further instructions in verse number 14. He says in verse number 14, he says, Now the elaborate count shall be a memorial. It's not something, wasn't given to Joshua to crown him as some kind of king. He was high priest and they had garb for the high priest. This, this crown was to be a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Helam, Tobijah, and, and Jediah, and Hen, or Josiah, the son of uh, Zephaniah. So uh, Joshua, this was just a symbolic ceremony, at, symbolic of the crowning of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it was to be a memoriam, a memoriam to some degree to those guys who built the crown and gave up their gold and silver to the crown. But more, much more than that, it's a memoriam to the Lord. And so uh, what did they do with it? Well, Jewish tradition says that the crown was, was placed in one of the top windows of the temple and, and it was left there for everybody to see as a sign that one day soon Messiah would come. More than likely it was there when Jesus came. And if he had taken that crown down out of that window and laid it on his head, things would have been a lot different for them. And a lot different for us. I don't know if we would gotten saved or not, you know. So maybe we're glad they didn't, that didn't happen that way. They made him king. I, that, hey, the cross was a plan laid before the foundation of the world. And you were chosen him before the foundation of the world. So one way or the other, we were going to get saved. But can you imagine him walking by, seeing that crown in the window and said, that's my crown. That's my crown. But, you know, as a, as a mother hen grabs her chicks and, and uh, brings them under her wings, he longed to do that, but they, they wouldn't have him. They wouldn't have that man rule over them. And so instead they crucified him. But one day, the real crown, the real diadem, is going to be placed on his head and he's going to be crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And then he says in verse number 15, he says, even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so this was an encouragement to these Israelites. I mean, it was a... It was a uh, a really strong, encouraging word for them. I mean, here they were, they're trying to build this temple. Uh, they're facing all sorts of obstacles, all sorts of difficulties. It doesn't look like they can get it done. And the Lord says, hey, that work that you're doing, they wanted to quit. The Lord said, don't quit. Uh, 
the work that you're doing matters because this is the place. We're going to set this temple up. There's going to be another temple. There's going to be another temple after that, another temple after that. But this is the spot where Jesus will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and God will rule on earth. And you have a part in that by building this temple and continuing this legacy of God living here on earth. Continuing this picture of God living here on earth. And it was their choice. I mean, if they had, he says, he says here, he says, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. If they hadn't obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, they, they did obey him and they did build the temple. But if they hadn't obeyed him, the temple would have got built anyway. But they would have missed out. They wouldn't have had a part in the plans and purposes of God. See the lesson there? I mean, God wants us involved in his work, in winning people to Jesus Christ, in expanding the branch that's going out into the world. He's going to expand it whether we do the work or not. But it's a great privilege that's been given to us to participate in the things that God puts in our path that are part of building the kingdom of God. And he's going to build it whether we do our part or not. But what a privilege and really what a responsibility it is to, to do the work that God's given us to do. And that means that whatever he's called us to do, that work has been sanctified by him. It's been made holy by him, just like that temple was made holy, that little ragtag temple that they were building there in Jerusalem. It was a holy spot. It was an important piece of work to God. And my work and your work for the Lord is important to God too because it's all part of his glorious eternal plan. And what's his glorious eternal plan? To build his church and to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and to rule and reign on this earth forever. What a deal. Father, we just thank you for your word and just the great hope that we have and Lord, also the great responsibility we have. Sometimes we look around and we see uh, the things that you've called us to do don't seem so significant, Lord. They don't seem, it seems sometimes like we don't have the resources or the power within us to do it, and we don't, Lord. We have to rely on you. But Lord, whatever you've called us to do has been sanctified. It's been made holy. It's important to you. It's important to you because, because Lord, you're important to us. And if you're not important to us, there's something wrong with us, Lord. So, Lord, I, I ask as the, we see things turning towards uh, these last days when, when you will return, that you make it very clear the work that you have for us to do. Lord, and that we prioritize that. And, and Lord, that we, we stick to the, to the plow and don't turn back. We just ask for your grace to do that. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.